Well, with many of you, I had the joy and privilege and opportunity to be at the fundraiser for BTC last night. And what a wonderful night it was, as Pastor Binu mentioned, to have a single event that raised over $150,000. is just a wonderful, wonderful gift from the Lord. I asked Dennis and John Kurian especially to just know how many of you were a part of that, to know how many... Uh, of the tickets were bought or supporters or volunteers came from Seven Mile Road and I got a wonderfully helpful text from John and by wonderfully helpful I mean completely useless. Um, John texted back saying definitely a lot and I said thanks John that was very precise and helpful. So I do know that a lot of you were a part of this and so in a wonderful way to a God to alone be the glory kind of way Seven Mile Road you had a huge part in that whole thing. So then, with that being said, imagine that the chances of that the passage we're looking at today is one where Jesus wants to talk to us about charitable giving, right? What are the chances of that? What, what a coincidence. Or, as the Bible would better teach, a better word than coincidence is providence, right? That in the careful, wise planning of God, Jesus intends for you on the night, on the morning where you're on the heels of a night, dedicated solely to fundraising and giving charitably and giving to the needy, Jesus is calling you on the very next morning. Has he gotten your attention? <laughs> Jesus is calling you in the very next morning to say, I need to talk to you about giving and giving to the needy and your charitable giving. And I hope that means that God has something to say to you and has gotten your attention. Now, I do want to say this, you don't need to panic because the passage we're looking at is not even one that's trying to get you to give. If you read the passage, you'll find that it's almost assumed if you're a citizen of Jesus' kingdom, you're going to give. And so the passage is not even trying, laboring hard, difficult to get you to give as much as to say, now that you've given, I want you to examine why you give and how you give and what happens when you give. And so if you've ever written a check to a charity, if you've ever given money to someone in need or in the poor, if you've ever dropped a dollar in the baskets that went by, then Jesus' words are for you this morning. And you need to hear what he has to say to you. And Jesus wants you to be thinking, why do you give? And how do you give? And what happens when you give? Okay? So let's pray for a moment and ask the Lord for his help, and then we'll consider those three questions in the text together. Our Father, we pause to ask your help because we are so desperate and needy. If it is not for your help, our eyes will be blind to your word. Our ears will be deaf to it. Our hearts will be hard to it. Our minds will be dark to it. We will not understand, nor receive, nor obey it. But if you come by your spirit, then you can take these puffs of air, whether helpful or meager, whatever they might be, and infuse them with your own power. And you can get them through our eyes so that we can see it and hear it and understand it and love it and believe it and obey it. We'd ask, Lord, that you would lodge your word into our hearts, that it might have much effect and much fruit for many years to come. Do all of that, we humbly ask and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so let's recall and remember together for a moment just how this section begins. If you remember, Jesus is, as we've been laboring together to study, preaching the Sermon on the Mount. And in chapter 6, verse 1, he starts this section by saying, Beware 
of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. Now that one verse, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. That one verse is the controlling idea. It's the dominant thought for this whole section. This section goes from verses 1 through 18, and in that whole section, basically what Jesus is saying, the controlling thought is that you can do a bunch of religious things, but be careful when you do religious things that you're not doing it to put on a religious show. That's what he's trying to say. Be careful when you do spiritual religious things that you're not doing it to put on a religious show. And Jesus could have picked any number of religious things. He could have picked the preacher and he said, be careful, preacher, when you preach that you're not doing this in order to sound like a really smart spiritual guy to the people who hear you. He could have said it to the singer, be careful, singer, that when you sing, you're not putting on a show so that people would notice you. He could have picked any number of things, but he chooses in verses 1 through 18, three things to describe all spiritual things. And he chooses fasting and he chooses praying. And he chooses what we're going to look at this week in verses 2 through 4, giving. And what he wants to labor to communicate in all of this is this. You can do the right thing the wrong way. You see, for Jesus, it doesn't just matter what you do. It matters why you do what you do. Right? That's the thing about Jesus. He's not just going to settle for what is exterior, what people see. He's going to press in all the way down to your heart where you can't hide, where you can't fake him out. And he's going to say, it doesn't just matter to me what you do. It matters to me why you do what you do. It, there's a way to do the right thing the wrong way. And my citizens will not only do the right thing, they will do them the right way for the right reasons. Just let that sink in for a second. That means that you could sit down and write a very generous check. You could write a very generous check to help the needy, and you can do that either in a way that God loves and adores and remembers and rewards, or in a way that God will hide his face from and abhors and hates. It could be the same check, it could be the same amount, but you can do that very same thing in a way that God either loves or despises, in a way that he remembers and rewards or that he'll have no recollection of whatsoever. And so what's the difference? It's the same you, it's the same pen, it's the same check, it's the same amount. What's the difference between something God loves and God hates? Well, Jesus is going to tell us. And he says, to know the difference, it starts with motive. That is, why? do you give? I'm almost going to assume you give. Why do you give? So here's what he says in 6 verse 2. Thus, when you give to the needy, and I want to pause there for just a second and just highlight that for you. Thus, when you give to the needy, would you just notice with me that it says, thus, when you give to the needy, right? Commentators have loved to point out it doesn't say, thus, if you give to the needy, as if if this is something you choose to do, if you happen to be gifted with generosity, if you're someone who likes to give. No, his assumption is, thus when you give to the needy. As if Jesus is comfortable assuming that his citizens will be giving people. He's, he's going to say all that he says just assuming that generosity is going to be a part of your life. And here's why. 
The Bible is very comfortable making the assumption that if you're a Christian, if you're a Christian, not you were born in the right family, if you have really come to faith in Jesus Christ for yourself, the Bible assumes that that means you've owned up to the fact already that you have nothing. That you didn't come to the equation with something great to offer God. In fact, you had to admit that you had nothing to offer God. The Bible assumes that if you're a Christian, that means that you are one who has been ready to admit that you were poor and needy, right? Don't forget the very first words of Jesus' sermon. Blessed are who? The poor in spirit. That means that Jesus is assuming if you're a citizen, if you're a Christian, you have already admitted that you're poor in spirit. You're spiritually poor. You're morally empty. You're spiritually bankrupt. And so when a Christian sees a person that's poor, there's nothing in him that's superior to. In fact, the poor person is just a mirror for him. Right? Because the poor person is materially what you are spiritually and morally. The poor person is visibly what you are invisibly. When you see the poor, you identify because you go, there am I, right here. We just finished sang, singing together, I once was blind, but now I see. What is that? That means that when you and I walk a street, and if we were to see a blind beggar, there is nothing about us that would feel over or superior. We would go, that's me, because I was once blind, but now I see. When I see someone out of his mind, talking gibberish, walking the streets, I go, I was out of my mind. I was in the insanity of sin. You who are in Christ now, you look back to who you were and you go, what was I thinking? In fact, that's what you go, I wasn't thinking. I was caught up in the insanity of sin. And God, like the story of the prodigal son, brought me to my senses and I came home. Right? When I see the poor, I see in them visibly, materially, what is going on invisibly, spiritually and morally with me. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Right? And we've said this before. Jesus, notice, doesn't say, blessed are the middle class in spirit. Right? Because if you're middle class in spirit, and hear me, that's what a lot of us are tempted to be. If you're middle class in spirit, your basic ethic is, I am where I am because I worked hard to get there. What I have is because I put in the work. And so if you're middle class in spirit, it will affect how you see the poor. Because you think the poor should pull themselves up by their bootstraps just like you did. And so Jesus is coming and saying, my citizens are those who are poor in spirit. And if you're poor in spirit, then you know that you have been the recipient of divine mercy. You know that God has looked after your welfare. You're on his welfare program. That's who you are. If you're, if you're poor in spirit, you know that you have received a, a handout, a, a cosmic handout. And so if that's happened in your heart, there's no way that you can close your heart to those who are in need. Because you'll see a mirror when you see them. You'll be moved towards them. One pastor named Randy Alcorn says it this way. He says, it's, it's that lightning is always followed by thunder. And, and God's grace is like lightning that comes into our hearts with all that he's given. And it should produce in us a thunder of generosity. When we receive the lightning of God's giving and gifts and grace, it should produce in us a thunderous response of generosity as well. So for Jesus, hear me, there's almost no question that you're going to give. If you're a citizen, he's just going to assume. So when you give to the needy, 
He's just going to assume that you do that. Thus, when you give to the needy, now the question is, why do you give? Right? He's going to assume you give. Now, what's underneath that? What's the motive behind that? And he's going to say, let me, let me show you the wrong motive for why you give and then give you the correct motive. He wants to show you first, let me show you why some people give. So here's what he says. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets that they may be praised by others. Jesus wants to highlight for you now. I want to show you first the wrong reason why some, maybe even of you, give. He says, I want you to see this person, this religious person, and he just comes out and calls them what he is. He says, I want you to consider how the hypocrite gives. And if you remember a few weeks ago, we said hypocrite is that word that meant actor. So I want you to see how the guy who's about to put on a religious show gives. When he's about to give, here's what he does. He starts blowing a trumpet so that everyone in the synagogue and in the street knows he's coming and his generosity can be seen and noticed and admired and applauded by all. Right? Jesus is almost poking fun because I don't know that they literally blew trumpets. It's almost as if Jesus wants to ridicule these guys and go, do you see how ridiculous they are? When I hear this, don't be like the hypocrites who blow their trumpets in the synagogues and the streets. I think of sort of entrance music, right? You, you remember WWF? Each guy had his own song that he came into, right? So when you hear, I am a real American, you know Hulk Hogan is about to enter the building. I just dated myself along with a, a bunch of you as well. Right? So, so Jesus is saying, do you see how ridiculous these guys are? A certain trumpets start blowing and you know generous George is coming. Right? Certain horns go off and you know charitable Charlie is on his way. And, and the whole synagogue, that wasn't a knock on Charlie, by the way. <laughs> the whole synagogue, the whole streets are buzzing with, oh, this person's here and he's ready to give. Jesus is saying, do you, do you see how ridiculous these guys are? They're literally blowing their own horn. Right? They're literally letting you know, here we come with great generosity. And what's behind all this? Jesus says, that they may be praised by others. Oh, so-and-so is so generous. Such-and-such such gives that all the time. And listen, Jesus says to his citizens, that's you and me, his disciples, his followers, don't do that. And don't miss this. He says don't do that because you and I tend to do that. Right? We hear this and there's a part of us that go, oh, those ridiculous Pharisees with their trumpets. We would never do that. Listen, the warning is given to you because you and I have a tendency to do this. Now listen, we wouldn't be so tacky as hiring trumpets. No, we're much more sophisticated, much more subtle. We're much more elegant in the ways in which we try to show off our righteousness. We find much more tasteful ways to let people know that we're generous and to let our righteousness be seen by others. We're not tacky trumpet players. No, we, we've devised our own ways. So we've got plaques that go on walls, and if you reach a certain amount, your name gets there. Or, or you could have a whole room, you could have a whole wing, you could have a whole building named after you if you're just generous enough. We've got subtle ways, sneaky ways. Some of us today, this morning, the basket comes by. You haven't given thought about giving or, or God's generosity in your life, that hasn't come with prayer or thought, but you drop something in because your neighbor's watching and you don't want to be seen as the guy who doesn't give. All of us have our own ways. 
I was racking my brain all week trying to think of, we don't blow trumpets. What's, what's the ways in which we do this? How is it that all of us have this heart to want someone else to know of our righteousness? And I was talking to Pastor Binu about it, and he wonderfully gave me a perfect example, which, as a benefit to me, was at his own expense, which was even better for me, right? And, and so he told me, and, and I'm trying to think, when's the last time this has happened? And he said, just this week, right? So this Wednesday... Benu was at a concert, and he gave me permission to share this to you. He was at a concert, and it happened to be a Christian concert, and halfway through, the band is championing the entire crowd and audience to give to a certain charity. So he's at this concert with his friends, and they start talking about the charity and about possibly giving, and one of them pipes up about how they've partnered with this charity before, and it's such a great organization, and what they do, and he said the whole time he's dying to get a word in of, I give to that too. The whole time he's trying to figure out how can I insert that I too give to this charity because if he's not saying anything, they won't know that he gives and, and they'll think that he's not giving charitably. And so while they're talking, there's this civil war going on in his brain about how to slide in just a comment and how should he phrase it. Maybe he'll just say something like, yeah, it's so rewarding when you give to something like that, right? <laughs> because then you didn't boast, you didn't blow a horn, but you just let them sort of know you're generous too. Pray for your pastor. He's a sick man, right? <laughs> He's not sick. We all do this, right? Jesus said, you and I find. And if it's not giving, it might be praying. And if it's not praying, it might be fasting. And if it's not fasting, it'll be something else, which is why Jesus started 6 verse 1 by saying, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. Jesus says, if, if you do this for the applause of man, there's no reward in that. In fact, that's what he finished this, this section with saying. Right at the end of verse 2, he says, Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. Right? Do not be like the hypocrites who sound the trumpets before them as they go into the synagogues and the streets that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward reward. And if you remember two weeks back, I mentioned that that word reward is actually a technical word. It's actually a word that means receipt. They've received their receipt, as in the transaction is over. They've been paid in full. Nothing's waiting for them. They've gotten a receipt, right? That means you did this for what? You did it for that. And as soon as that is done, so is the reward. That fleeting vapor applause of man, that fickle here and gone. By the time I say, you're so great, and great is finished off my tongue, it's done. You've been paid in full. You didn't do this for God, and so nothing with God is waiting for you. You did this for the applause of man. You got the applause, and when it's done, it's done. Oh, friends, would you let that sink in for a second and think for a moment? How many checks have you written? How many dollars have you given? How many prayers have you prayed? How many deeds have you done that heaven has no recollection of whatsoever? Would you let that sink in for a second? How many deeds have you done that heaven has no record of, no registry of, no recollection of? You did it for that, and as soon as that was done, you've been paid in full. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. And nothing else waits for them. 
And so Jesus is saying, I need you to examine not just that you give, but why you give. And when you consider that with that, I want you to also consider then how you give. Right? If, if I want you to think about why you give, then with that tandem, I want you to think how you give. In verse 3, he tells us, if it's not going to be the blowing of trumpets and the parading of your righteousness before others, then how are citizens of Jesus' kingdom supposed to give? Verse 3 tells us, but when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. If it's not going to be a big parade and show, then how is it going to be? Do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, Jesus says. Jesus says, look, if the hypocrites put on a big show, then I want you to be the polar opposite. I want you to give in secret. If they give for all to see, I want you to give for none to see. If they put on a show, I want you to hide in secret. In fact, he uses this great phrase. He says, in fact, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Right? Don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. And, and by that, what he's saying is, look, you're going to give in such a way that not only are you not parading around and blowing trumpets, not only are you not letting someone else know, in fact, I want it to be almost that you don't even replay to yourself what you've done. Right? Jesus is not saying close your eyes and just write out checks. We're called to be responsible and stewards. But what he's saying is, I want you to not even relay and replay to your left hand what you've done with your right hand. Meaning, don't rehearse and remember this over and over and over again. I think what Jesus is going after, and some commentators have rightly pointed this, is you're not even not just telling others, you're not even relaying and informing yourself as you're spontaneously generous because God calls of it. I don't know about you, but I think what Jesus is going after is when I do a good thing or I'm applauded by someone, I have this high definition, slow motion, really great camera in my brain that is able to replay that thing over and over. And I can slow it down so that I can see it. I can turn the angles. I can rewind it and play it back again. Right? In fact, even I don't have anyone to see my good deeds. So I gave in secret. No one knows. Right? And then you know what I do? I play slowly. No one knows. I even gave and no one knows. Right? And, and then I rewind that back. I, no one knows. Right? And I can, I can zoom at that. And, I can, and, and Jesus is saying, for the citizen of his kingdom, a citizen of the kingdom pr prefers self-forgetfulness over self-congratulation. Our hearts are so self-righteous that even if we obey the command to not let another know, we'll constantly let the left hand know and not forget what the right hand has done. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand has done. Now there's a practical word that I need to say in that, which is, okay, is Jesus saying that all giving must be secret giving and God forbid someone finds out about giving, is that somehow a, a violation of this word? So, for example, if you've given to Seven Mile Road, every dollar's been recorded. If you've written a check, we've got a, a listing of all of that. Is, is this somehow a breaking of the law? We do that so that it can be helpful in preparing budgets and we can be good stewards and give tax-deductible receipts and all the rest. Here's the problem if you read it that way. In the next passage, Jesus is going to say, when you pray, 
Shut the door and pray to your father in secret. Don't let anyone know that you're praying. Don't pray in front of other people. The problem is Jesus himself prays in secret, but he also prays before people. We've prayed today before people. Jesus will say, when you're fasting, don't let anyone know about your fasting. And, and so Jesus fasts. But, but he also told people that he fasted for 40 days. We know he fasted alone for 40 days because he told his disciples he fasted for 40 days. Jesus, at one point in his life, if you'll remember, will point to a, a widow who goes to the temple and drops two coins. He points out exactly how much she gave and draws everyone's attention to her giving and makes publicly known her generosity and praises it. What you see here is Jesus is not prescribing a mode of giving as much as searching your motive in giving. He's not trying to prescribe for you a mode of giving as much as saying to you, what I'm concerned is you practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. He's going after what's underneath. And, and I'm, I care about what goes on with your hands in so much as it reveals what's going on in your heart. Right? Hear that again. I care about what's going on in your hands in so much as it reveals what's going on in your heart. And so Jesus is saying, I want you, I know you give. You're a citizen of my kingdom. Why do you give? And how does that relate to how you give? And then lastly and quickly, I just want to remind you and give you the great good news of what happens when you give. Why do you give and how do you give and what happens when you give? Well, Jesus ends this passage by saying, and your father who sees in secret will reward you. Do not be like the hypocrites who sound the trumpets in the synagogues and the streets that they may be seen by others. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. What happens when you give? Your father who sees in secret will reward you. Here's the principle. When you give so that everyone sees, your father won't see. And when you give so that no one sees, your father sees. Right? And that's, that's something we've said throughout. When you do something so that everyone sees, your father will not see. He will not remember. He will not record. But when you do something right so that no one sees, your father sees, he remembers, he records, and he rewards. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. Now, I've read everything I could possibly find on what this reward is, and I have no idea, right? And I don't think Jesus defines for us or describes exactly what the reward is, right? I, I do have a good hunch that it's not a promise of, you know, this souped-up car or this great house. I don't imagine Jesus saying, listen, if you get rid of your toys, I'll give you better toys. If you get rid of your junk, I'll give you more junk. I'd imagine... He, what is the thing that my soul, your soul, needs more than anything else, craves, can satisfy us better than everything else? I think that's God himself. God is our great reward. And I think what God gives you is more of himself and a greater capacity to love and enjoy God. And he's saying, your father who sees your giving in secret will give you, he will reward you. And the last thing I want you to just hear, and it's a wonderful thought, is Seven Mile Road, you will never outgive God. Because when you give, He will give a reward to you. It's almost like He's stubborn. He will not let you have the last word. 
Because when you give, he's going to give on top. You're never going to outgive him because he's always going to top you. Our God is a generous giver. That's why we give. You just think of that. Let that sink in for a second. Our Father made creation, made the world and gave it to you. He gave you his image and his likeness. Not for any other creature, but he gave that to you. He gave you the prophets. He gave you the scriptures so that you might know. He gave you his son. For God so loved the world that he gave his son. He gave you salvation, the forgiveness of your sins. Right? Ephesians 2, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Your salvation is a gift of God. Then he gave you the Holy Spirit so that the Father and the Son would abide in you through the Spirit. He gave you the Spirit. And the Spirit didn't come empty-handed. The Spirit gave you spiritual gifts. Even the Spirit in coming to your home, into your heart, didn't come empty-handed, but brought a gift for you, to be used by you. He gave you the church. Ephesians says He gave you pastors and teachers and apostles and one another. He gave you the scriptures. He has given you eternal life. Our God is a giver. You will never outgive God. And so as you give, your Father who sees in secret will give, will return, will reward you. I'm reminded of this verse in the Old Testament in Malachi. God is speaking to his people who refuse to give, whose hands are closed, whom are stingy. And he says to them, test me in this. Whether or not I will open the windows of heaven and pour out so much blessing you can't even contain it. I think I've read somewhere it's the only place in the Bible where God says, test me. Right? In all the other places, do not test the Lord your God. Here he's saying, test me in this. Let me prove myself to you. You think you can't afford to give. I'm telling you, you can't afford not to give. Test me in this and see whether or not I will always outgive you. Because God is a generous God. And so as his citizens, that's what we're called to be as well. So I have no doubts at my road that you have at many times excelled in the grace of giving. And I think what Jesus would have you examine today is why do you give and how does that relate to how you give and be assured and, and joyful of what happens when you give. Let's pray together. Our Father, we delight in thinking of your generosity towards us. What do we have that has not been given by you? No one will ever outgive you. You have been generous to us from creation for all time, giving us even yourself, even your son. We pray now that you would free our hearts to give in such a way that responds rightly to you, that might call us to examine our hearts and might bring us to the place you've called us to in your word. Come do this and more than I know to ask. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.